well. I didn't want to stop you. Thank you, John. <laughs> so these are the assurances we have. And this is what is preparing us for that day that we come before the Lord, right? When we know in Matthew 7, uh, the Lord says there will be many who will come and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, 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 and that? Depart from me, I never knew you. What were the this and that and those things? They were all those materialistic assurances of works and deeds that we know are evident in a believer's life, but they're not our assurance. If our assurance doesn't lie in Christ, in these attitudes which are reproduced in us of Christ, then our assurances are not going to be worthwhile. And we may be gravely disappointed. I truly believe that those men who are before the Lord were convinced that they simply were deceived. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a horrifying place to be found. But it is a place in which we all will find ourselves uh, if we're not really trying to, to seek these inner attitudes in Christ. Uh, the hope then we know is tied to that truth we ought to embrace. John seventeen seventeen, the Lord says that thy word is truth. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Uh, give them their assurance and grow them, mature them by the truth. Thy word is truth. And so our, our strength that relies in joy because of the hope that we have can only come by the truth that transforms our lives. So let's continue looking at the transformations that are taking place. The next thing in our progression through becoming peacemakers uh, was is pure in heart. Uh, am I correct in saying we did not cover this last time? Do y'all remember? Okay. What's that? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? What does it mean to be pure in heart? There's a lot of ways we can apply uh, the term is in regards to purity. could refer to immoral purity. could be, refer to uh, uh, not allowing corrupting influences to... to uh, invade our minds through guarding what we watch, what we hear. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Not be double-minded. Okay. And explain that. Um, you, your motives are, are pure. You okay. You want to do the right thing for God's glory. Not, it's, it's, you're not doing one thing or saying one thing and doing another. Or I'm, I'm even more than that. You're not thinking one thing. Yeah, that's, that's very critical and really understanding the working of these inner transformations is the, the clarity of our motives and our agenda. Uh, we always have an agenda behind what we do, what we say. Uh, the question is, whose agenda is it? You know, we, we can come and, and live this, this, with this appearance of wisdom, uh, as it says in Colossians 2, that we can do all the right things, say all the right things, avoid all the wrong things, that have the appearance of wisdom, but of, are of no fleshly value. Because if we're not being, if our motives are not being exposed by the Word, then again, we're doing these things according to our will, our agenda. But what should our agenda be? To whom are we to, to do things in regard? Uh, my mind's gone blank. Help me out. First um, Corinthians 5.9, that we're to do all things. Um, uh, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to the Father, that in all that we do, knowing that we have a hope and knowing that we will be judged, our motivations to please the Father. 1 Corinthians 10.31 or ten thirty one says that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. And I think that's a, a direct application to that purity in heart. There will be a day where in Hebrews 4.12 and 13, who knows that passage? The Word of God is living and active and it's like a dual-edged sword cutting through the the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit revealing what? The thoughts and intentions of your heart, your motives, your agenda. 
Uh, and then it says in 13, a lot of people stop there, but 13 is again a frightening portrayal where it says, for no creature will be hidden from his sight, but all will be, some say laid bare, others say found naked uh, before the one in, to whom we have to give an account. That, that is the day of judgment. That is the day where each of us will stand in a place, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I don't. I think it will be void of time and space, and I think we'll be in the complete presence of God, and we will be judged, and we'll have nowhere to hide. So it takes me back to the garden where, after Adam and Eve sinned, shame instantly overwhelmed them. Before, when when they were married, in the Genesis two at the end, there it says the man shall leave the husband and father become uh, joined together and become one flesh. And they were naked and were not ashamed. Okay, picture of innocence and perfect relationship with God. And then instantly after they disobey, it says what? They knew what? They were naked. Instant shame and guilt before God. And so what's the first thing they did? They covered themselves and then when they heard God walking in the garden, what did they do? They ran to the bushes where before they probably ran to Him with complete joy and now they're running from Him. That's just the saddest occasion. Uh, you think about your kids when you come home, men and, and, and women, and you know the joy of having your kids run to you, Daddy! But now they're running and hiding because of shame. Um, well, there will be a day where no creature will be hidden, meaning we'll look around, there'll be nowhere to hide, nowhere to run to, nobody to defend us, just you and the Lord alone. Does that frighten you? It, it, it frightens me. I, I stand confident in Christ that, that He has provided what I need, but man, I am, I'm, it's a frightening thought. Uh, but I, I hope that He will sustain me through it. Not because I have anything to present or anything to defend myself. I can only come in shame and, and hopes of the provision of righteousness through His Son. This is uh, what awaits us. But what Hebrews twelve is or four twelve is saying about the Word of God is this is the, the the judgment seat of Christ now that I can stand before this truth and in, in the presence of God. And He can judge my motives through His truth and I can repent and change by His uh, transformative work through the Spirit of God so that I can stand in that day. And so we, the truth has to change your heart. It has to make the difference. And, it, and this is what it's about. Purifying your heart. Uh, conforming you to the righteousness of Christ uh, by being transformed uh, in your heart. Uh, so as, as Christ teaches throughout the sermon, as we talked about, it, as you now uh, engage this sermon, uh, it, we see that it's not a matter of obedience to the law anymore. It's an issue of the heart. That we're unable to stand before God's law uh, and, and survive but it's, it's that transformative work in the heart, changing our attitudes, not our, our actions. It's, it's a different mindset than what the Jews and what the religious uh, man thinks. Um, so we see that it deals with anger, dealing with the heart, that you heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you that if you're angry in your heart, you are a murderer at heart. Uh, if you hate your brother... Uh, it deals with um, lust. Uh, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, uh, but I tell you that if you lust after a woman in your heart, then you are committing adultery. I mean, it's getting to some very sensitive areas. Uh, the, the covetous nature of our heart, being dissatisfied with what we have and wanting what others have or wanting what the world offers in terms of joy and peace and happiness. Um, we know Jeremiah seventeen nine says what? That the heart is 
wicked, deceitfully wicked and desperately sick, who can know it? And I, I think this is the, the problem in the evangelical church today where we may see that there's a divergence from a biblical gospel where people are not being confronted with their sin and, and not understanding the, the grave situation that they're in because of their sin is because most men, if not all men, are unwilling to accept the reality that we're wicked people. We are wicked, wicked people. And how many of you in conversation in general with friends, family, who may, um, may be blinded from that reality or truth or may be an unbeliever, and you speak in those terms... Uh, they, they want to defend you. Oh, no, you're not that bad. Or they may defend themselves. And it, it's, it's natural that we speak well of ourselves. Uh, and that's why, you know, I think we have to deal, when we have opportunity to have gospel conversations, we have to uh, discuss this truth with all honesty that no one is good. Not one is righteous. Um, somebody... I've got a couple of passages, that if y'all can help me look up. Proverbs 4, 2, and 3, if somebody can get that. Um, you got that, Jeff? Uh, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Mark, if you could get Matthew 15, 19 and 20. And Jonathan, if you could get uh, Psalm 51, 10. All right, whoever, you got it, Jeff? Four, two, and three. Yep. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother. Okay. That probably is the wrong reference that I had because that really makes no sense. Uh, what version are you reading there? Maybe you've got one of those weird versions. Okay. the message? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you mean 23? Verse 23. I have my two and three are like this far apart. But I didn't have a comma. I should have recognized the grammatical mistake there. Uh, 23. Thank you, Jeff. Keep your heart with all diligence. Say it again. Keep your heart with all diligence. For from it flows the springs of life. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. Since we're talking about the heart. Okay. So from your heart flow the issues of life. Uh, Jonathan. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Okay, obviously this is a, a psalm of David in response to his repentance and his sin uh, with his adultery and murder. Um, Mark, you got Matthew 15? Yes, sir. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands is not defiled. Okay, so what flows from the heart? We see the issues of life, impure things, uh, these, these uh, fleshly uh, indulgences. So if, if we're simply trying to conform to activities and behaviors and religious works and we're not dealing with the heart, what ultimately is going to flow out of the heart? These, these things, sin... And, and, and that's, that's the problem and, and, and where Christ rightfully with righteous indignation condemns the Pharisee because they themselves put themselves up uh, in, in the appearance of wisdom and religious things, but it was said of them that they washed the outside of the cup, but, but it was filthy inside. They're like whitewashed tombs. They're dead bones inside, but the tombs were whitewashed. Uh, this is the deception that many professing believers find themselves. Is they have been taught and they have been, through their own sinful motives, have, have cleaned up the outside. And they're not dealing with what's true in the heart. And again, this is the, 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 the treasure of the Beatitudes as we reflect on the work that's being done through the gospel. Because as, as, as I said from the beginning, this is not a message to unbelievers to, to, to kind of grasp and understand this. This is, 
we as believers ought to be our confession. This is what is true of us. Okay, now we can teach this to unbelievers in a way that, that can bring clarity, but they're not going to understand poverty of spirit, uh, mourning of their sin. Unbelievers don't do this. Um, so even if you yourself are having doubts or struggling with assurance, but yet there is an inner anguish to deal with it and, and, and kind of a, a internal suffering and mourning that you have to want that assurance, that is such a great thing. Uh, when, when people come to us miserable in these things, maybe they want us to just kind of lift that burden and say, no, brother, you're okay. If you, if you did this or you did this, you're, you're good. Uh, we had a recent discussion with a family, and it was a, such a blessing, but one of the, the spouses really was struggling with assurance. And there was such a, a hesitation to open up about this because I don't know what she expected. And, and I, I, I told them that, you know, right now, I know there are probably many pastors who might say, well, let's nail it down. Let's, let's pray that prayer and let's, let's remove that doubt. I mean, I, I've done that shamefully when I can't make that. Now, I definitely bring the exhortation that's needed to understand the gospel, to understand what's required in regards to faith and belief and trust. But I am not going to give what I can't give, and that is assurance. It is not our job as Peacemakers. See, my segue, we're moving forward to that uh, slowly but surely. So it is an issue of the heart is the point. Uh, and, and purity speaks to this cleansing of, of examining your motives, of seeing a transformation in your life. Uh, we know, again, that, that it's not based on who we are outwardly, but if, if you're the same person you were 20 years ago, uh, in, in how you live your life, then I, I would be concerned. You should be changing every day. We always are going to strive against the flesh and strive against sin in the world, and we will not be anywhere close to perfect until the day that we come before Christ. But we ought to be progressing, and, and, and the evidence of these things should be uh, clear, but yet not because we are building a case before God. We have no case before God. That case has already been dealt with through Christ. Uh, so we just have to have this right mindset of, of how do we become peacemakers. Um, so it's dealing with our conscience. We have to deal with the conscience. We are called to have a clear conscience, a clean conscience. Deal with your sin. Deal with your sin. Do you ever get burdened or confused when you see passages of Scripture that call us to be blameless? What does it mean to be blameless? Does it speak about perfection and righteousness? Is that possible? To be perfect in righteousness? I mean, if you think through logical uh, truths like the Spirit of the Lord that works in us, the justification and the work of Christ. I mean, it's, it's possible, but, but it's still going to be limited in a relative sense because we still are in the flesh and in this world. We will not have the, 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 our new bodies in Christ. And so, so what does it mean then to be blameless? Because that sounds like somebody who's perfect to me. But what does that mean? Okay, and how how are we? How is sin in our life revealed a lot of times, or just in general? So spouse. Yeah, that's that's the primary one. Uh, of course, as we're meeting with our judge every day, our loving Savior and Judge, the through the Holy Spirit, He is revealing attitudes and motives in our heart through truth, and we deal with it there. But most of the time, it comes through relationships. And, and, and sometimes, 
we might be confronted in those things, which, again, can be done in a, in a godly way. Um, the question is, how are we dealing with it in those times? Are we ready and willing to accept the accusations and the faults and the weaknesses? Or are we quick to defend? The meek person, he, he is not provoked. He recognizes his weaknesses and he is ready to confess them. So to me, uh, I had a recent conversation with a close friend whom we had a l- little bit of strife we needed to deal with. And, and I had some major concerns and I was prepared to discuss them. And right away, brother, forgive me. I, I have been wrong in how I've, I've treated you. I've been wrong in how I've dealt with you. An amazing display of humility, confession. So what did I do with that list? I, had, I was ready to go. I was going to do it lovingly, kindly, but I was ready. What could I do with it now? It's nothing. We're done. He was blameless. I had no accusation I could hold to him anymore because he cleared it. So should I then go and say, hey, it's, it's good, but man, watch out for so-and-so. They did this, 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 and this. I mean, he, you know, he, he says he's you know, sorry, but I don't know. I don't trust him. I mean, that, that's obviously the most sinful thing you can do, and, and unfortunately we do it. Uh, but because he's blameless. If somebody brings an accusation to you and you recognize uh, that, yeah, I, I probably did do that. I know that I have that weakness. Just be quick to accept responsibility. Uh, even when you may not be fully to blame, if you want to remove a strife, and again, this is getting into kind of our, the peacemaker attitude and what this is developing, but but fighting with humility, which is foundation in those first three Beatitudes, and in having mercy and a desire to have a clear conscience and be blameless. It's all leading to this, this Christ-like Son of God reality that we're to, to live in. So we, in regarding integrity of the heart and mind, being defined by uh, immovable faith that... It does not matter what men think of me. It only matters what God thinks of me. And I want to stand pure before Him. And in that, through His supernatural work, through the supernatural beatitudes, we can be at peace with men. Even though we know we're going to offend people and they're going to offend us. And there's not a more uh, uh, valuable truth for us to hang on to than in the church because we are trying to exemplify the nature of Christ. We're trying to be a light to the world that is being displayed through the unity in the church and not through division that can easily come. So again, I had notes here about the double-minded man who can be divided by these agendas in his heart. But we are to be stable and and undivided in our devotion towards purity. Uh, and it's one who is blameless, above reproach, right? We know this is the qualities of, of men in the church, men and women in the church. Uh, if we regard sin in our heart, then the Lord will not hear prayers. Well, this is what leads us to the peacemaker and what that is. And so I may need 20, 25 minutes, uh, but we have to get through today. But if you look at Verses 44 through 48, but reflecting on the peace, the verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, I think this is uh, a reflection of what we are becoming. We are children of God. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. And we don't know what we will be, but we know that when we see Him as He is, will be just like Him. Okay, this is what we're striving for. There's nothing in this life that, that should draw our interest and attention that we should be striving for, except to become more like Christ. Because this is the ultimate of our redemption. This is, uh, we're not ascending to a place in this life that is the hope of glory. Right, which is 
Romans 5 says, is our ultimate. Our hope lies beyond this life. But while we're here, there is a, 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 a huge responsibility that we have. A huge opportunity. And it's not to progress in this life through, our, through the blessings of family and home and career and relationships, even in the church. All these things we've talked about can be worthwhile, uh, godly things, but when they become our hope, they become the goal of our life, then it is nothing less than what? Idolatry. It is idolatry. We're worshiping these things. And, and we all are prone uh, to these things. So we know that Christ is our provision, who comforts us, who gives us our every need, uh, who calls us to cast our anxieties upon Him because He cares. Uh, and so that we can then, in turn, be useful for His glory here in the way that, that, that He has purposed His redemption in our life. And ultimately, it's so that we can therefore go to all nations baptizing, uh, in the na- uh, this, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the ultimate purpose of the church, but yet we know that it is sourced through the sanctification of the believer and the body of Christ. So this kind of yields a little bit towards our philosophy of ministry and how we see ourselves as an instrument in the community. It, it's not that we're developing all these programs, apartment life, great ministry, but we're not about setting up each of you in an apartment life ministry so that you can go be these ambassadors. We desire you to, uh, in uh, submission to your Savior and to the Word of God, through the church, be sanctified in your salvation so that you are growing and being conformed to the image of Christ so that you can be a peacemaker in this world. And, and we're going to look at that real quick, what that means. Um, look, verse 44 through 48, in, in chapter 5 of Matthew, um, in the midst of this sermon, Christ says, But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what we see here is a, a distinctive love in the community. Uh, when, we, when we hear uh, illustrations or synonyms like be a light or be salt, those things aren't pointing to uh, the effects of those things as much as they are the distinction of those things. What distinguishes the light? The dark, right? So we know we're in a dark world. We're to be a light in the world. Okay, we know our lives should shine. But again, it's just talking about we ought to be different. We ought to be distinct in this life because we are different. Uh, We're to be salt. We're to bring distinctive flavor to our life. Not just in message, but in how we live our lives because um, we are setting up that standard. So it, it first goes to that we are to be sons of our Father who is perfect by having a distinctive love, not just for one another, but even for our enemies. We're to extend the same common grace to the world and to outsiders, our enemy and believers, as God does. But I don't see that in the church these days. I don't see it in, in a lot of Christians' lives. I think there's ultimately 
Maybe it's an effort to distinguish ourselves from the world because we want assurance of our own Christian life to show disgust to the world. And of course, we are appalled by the activities of the world, right? And the unbeliever. But what, what does Ephesians 2 say? This is what we were. That This is who what we have been transformed from. Why? It, not because we were good, not because uh, we were wise, but verse 4 says, but God who was what? Rich in mercy. Again, the mercy of God. So we have to show the same common grace and the same mercy. And, and this is what begins to form in our minds what a peacemaker is and are, and seeing are we a peacemaker. So it's first and foremost um, that we are not here to judge the world. Okay, look at John three sixteen real quick. We're going to fly through some passages. I may not turn to all of them. We know John three sixteen says... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever should believe will not perish, but have eternal life. But verse 17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. Okay, so if Christ didn't come to judge the world, then what right do we have to judge any man? To judge any man. And when I talk about judge, I'm not talking about noticing their life and, and their activities. You know, when I see a drunkard, I, I know he's a drunkard. Okay, when I see a, a fornicator, okay, someone who is flippant with his uh, uh, in immorality, I, I recognize it. I know. I once was that. But what is it that, how would I then judge that person? I'm not determining what his is, but what does it mean to then judge him? Condemn him. Tell him he deserves hell. He doesn't deserve my grace. He doesn't deserve my mercy. You know, I'm not obligated to relate to him. But this was not the attitude of the Son of God in which we have become. Okay, we are peacemakers. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. It says he didn't come in the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. See, in our condemnation, see, what we have to understand is our salvation didn't spare us from judgment. It spared us from the consequences of that judgment because we were already condemned, right, in our sin. Okay, so we have been spared through the provision of Christ, His death on the cross, His resurrection. We were spared from the judgment. Christ took that punishment. Okay, but we were already judged. It wasn't like we were spared from that judgment. And the world's in the same situation. They are condemned in who they are. And their only hope is the gospel. And so if we want to be a light, we have, to, we have to change our attitudes about the world. We've got to love them. We've got to pity them. But not only that, we've got to show them mercy. Now that can come in many forms. Uh, it can come in just sharing the gospel with them. But a lot of times I don't think that that's adequate. I mean, obviously we know their salvation is their greatest need. And the gospel is the power of God to save, right? But sometimes my words aren't enough to, to draw somebody to the love of God and the kindness of God. Um, and we'll talk about that. But Christ came not to condemn. He, and He says, this is the judgment, verse 19, that the light is coming to the world and men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light. So it's, it's this distinction. And our deeds are exposed by the light. And we're called to be a light. Uh, look at Isaiah 53. Again, we're looking at Christ as our peacemaker. Isaiah 
Matt, on your way out, could you tell Shane to start the, the service about 20 minutes late so we can get done here? <laughs> 3 through 12, Isaiah 53. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one whom uh, men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of his well-being fell upon, of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. That is such an amazing reality. Okay, who is that speaking of? Christ who was, uh, was scourged and despised and the shame was poured on Him. He was judged, condemned on our behalf, smitten, regarded as smitten by God, meaning God Himself was bringing His anger to Christ like we, we had the right to condemn Him in that way. But the one who had every right to defend Himself, to say, this is wrong. You have no right as my creation to judge me. What did he do? What did he say? He did on the cross. He said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. But what does it say here in the passage? He says he didn't even open his mouth. He covered his mouth, didn't defend himself. And we see this picture in Romans 1-3. through where we have all kind of excuses. You know, I didn't know, God. I, you know, um, uh, I didn't... Hey, I'm not bad, but I'm not as bad as this guy. You know, um, or the Jew said, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm good. We, we, have, we just run at the mouth with excuses before God. And then Paul says, look, there, there will come a day where the righteousness of God will be revealed and you will cover your mouth. That, that is that day where no creature is hidden. We'll have no defense. But yet, we, we, we have all kinds of excuses now. This is our condemnation. This is judgment on ourselves um, that we think we have a right. We think we deserve better in our treatment. Uh, even as believers, we, think we, we question God sometimes in what He's doing in our life because we think we have a right. But Christ, who had every right and, and had deserved all of our praise and glory, who was stricken and judged and condemned, didn't open his mouth because he wanted to fulfill the will of his Father. So this is peacemaker, which that led him to what Courtney said, to have this mercy on those who were condemning him and crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. They're blind in their condemnation. And, and we need to reflect the same attitude of Christ who is our ultimate peacemaker. We're to be reconcilers of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. This is where we see we're called to this ministry of reconciliation. A couple uh, references you know that we are uh, to see people in a spiritual light. Verse 16, Therefore we now recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we are, are no new Christ in that way, we know Him this way no longer. We, we don't see people in regard to their material life, but their spiritual life. We're looking to the, not the material needs primarily because most would tell you that they have no needs. But they're in dire need of spiritual uh, survival and salvation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Uh, verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. That, that term reconciliation simply means that, that what was once divided in conflict is now together in peace. Okay, 
if you have lost a friend through a circumstance and you're brought back together, it means you've reconciled the relationship. God has reconciled man to himself through Christ and then did what? He gave us, it says, the ministry of reconciliation. Which means we are now, it says, ambassadors for Christ as if God were making His plea through us. We are now His peacemakers. We are now called to be peacemakers. And it says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed us this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. We beg, we, we beg people, be reconciled to God uh, because this is what Christ has given us. And so we do not count men's trespasses against them. If we ourselves recognize how sinful and, and unworthy we were of God's salvation and then turn and say, you know what, that, that guy is too bad. I'm not even going to relate to him because he is too corrupting. Then we're counting their trespasses against them and we're saying that we're better than they are. And, and, and Lord willing, I hope that you don't receive the same type of mercy from God. I ask people, if God treated you and viewed you the way you treat and view others, would you have any hope at all? So thanks be to God and, and Christ who displayed ultimate mercy to us. And this is the, 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 what lies in the heart of a believer that, that, that calls him to be a peacemaker. Um, oh, there's several passages I wanted to get to. Um, first, okay, let's look at three ways we're peacemakers. First, we're at peace with God. We know that we have to continually bring our sin before God and seek forgiveness. First uh, John one nine. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We have to be constantly seeking peace with God, not in in a, in the terms of justification, but in the terms of our everyday walking in the Spirit way, that if we regard sin in our heart, He will not hear our prayers. Deal with your sin, the pure in heart. Um, Secondly, we are to be at peace in the church. Okay, You have to strive for peace with your brother in Christ. You have to be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. And, and the scriptures are very clear that 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 your your relationships are not to be mediated by the pastors or the elders or your Bible study teachers. You have responsibility and an opportunity to minister to the church because of the gifts that you have through your righteousness in Christ and through the Word of God and the Spirit of God in you. Romans fifteen fourteen, Paul says this: that I am confident in you that you are full of goodness and. Um, Help me out, John. Full of goodness and knowledge and are able to admonish one another. That term admonish is from the Greek word, form of the word nutheteo, which is very flexible in the English translation, can mean many things. Counsel, encouragement, uh, rebuke, correct, uh, 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 many other things. But it simply means you're capable. First Thessalonians 5.12. Write that down. I want you to look it up and read it because we're not going to have time to go go to it. But it says that that we are to honor those who labor diligently among us and esteem them. Okay? That's not the point. I'm not standing up here saying you've got to honor me or honor Shane or honor David Kemp or, or any of the pastors and elders. But because of their labor and their efforts to serve the body that you are to esteem them by, it says, live in peace with one another. Meaning, when there is not peace, when there is strife, it is a burden to the leaders of the church. The drama, the and I don't mean to make light of those things. Some things are necessarily need to be dealt with, but you have the responsibility to strive. And it says, live in peace with Admonish the unruly. Now, it didn't say go tell the pastor about the unruly so that he can admonish him. He's telling you, 
because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in you, admonish the unruly. Encourage the weak and um, uh, something to the faint-hearted. Do that something. Um, but basically, be engaged in ministry life in the church. Okay, Relate with one another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Confess your sins to one another. Listen to one another. Care about one another. Okay, First and foremost, we know cast your cares on Christ and come ready to serve. But this is your ministry. Be at peace with God. Be at peace with one another in the church and in the body of Christ. But then thirdly, which is uh, really uh, illustrates the peacemaker, is our enemies. Engage in the world. Two, two passages that I love. Uh, Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says that we are to walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, we, we understand outsiders as to be those outside the church who would be the unbelieving world. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your family, your friends. Walk with wisdom toward outsiders. And there's context to what Paul means there because he's in jail suffering a, uh, an unwanted consequence for preaching the gospel. And he's asking the church to pray for him. But he didn't pray, Lord, open the doors of the jail so that I can get out of here. He said, Lord, pray for me that I would, uh, that the Lord would open doors for the word of God. Because in this circumstances, which I recognize, I wouldn't be here apart from God's purposes. And in those purposes, he's uh, doing good in my life and bringing glory to him. I've got to make the most of it. I've got to redeem it for his glory. So pray for me that I would be bold in how I speak. And then he says, and you, in the same way, walk with wisdom. So that means the circumstances of your life are there for your good and for his glory. The circumstances in which you walk through, which bring hardship and challenges, God is purposing for redemption in your life and to others. Okay, at the same time, guess what? Your neighbor, your coworker, your friends, your family... Are they just on easy street? Do they not suffer? Do they not have hardship? Of course not. They live in a fallen world. They need the light. They need the wisdom of your life through their circumstances. But if you're not engaging in the world, what do you know about their circumstances? You don't know their hurts. You don't know their pains. You don't know the challenges they face. The very things that brought you to a deeper understanding of truth in the gospel are the same things they're experiencing. But we're not engaging in the world. We're not relating. And we're not caring and showing love and just common grace. Our effort is, here's a track or, or here's four principles you need to, to believe and give your life to Christ. Okay, the Lord can use that. He can take those seeds and, and, and do a transformative work in that. But if we're not a part of cultivating the soil of these unbelievers, and helping plant those seeds and water the seeds, and, and you using the context of their trials to bring about peace and reconciliation to their God, then we're not peacemakers. Okay, so, so in our evangelistic efforts and thoughts, don't limit yourself just to uh, confrontational evangelism. It's a worthwhile effort. Don't limit yourself to passing out tracts. I have them. I use them at restaurants. They're just unique ways to plant seeds. But until I'm engaging in the world and, and caring and showing common grace, and that may mean that, that I'm just asking how their day was. And guess what? I actually care. And when, when I hear that, oh, man, it was a rough day. Uh, you know, I found out my wife has cancer. I found out that my son's uh, got suspended for smoking pot. I got, you know, all that life brings... This is the wisdom that they need to, to hear. Stuart Scott calls it bringing the gospel in its context. We have to help people see the truths of the gospel in the fabric of their life so that it makes sense. It's not always going to make sense in just a four-point presentation. But when we can help them and plug in those truths and help them understand... It's this is the reason why you're suffering. 
because of your sin and, and the sin of the world and the condemnation of God. And, and this is the only hope that you have. So this is the life of a peacemaker. And let me close out on one proverb. Proverbs 11.30 says, who's heard of the term soul winner? That's usually how we equate someone who's very evangelistic, but really it's not a a biblical use. But Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous, okay, the, the man who walks in the Beatitudes, the man who walks in the Spirit, is like a tree of life. He who wins souls is wise. A tree of life, real quick, I would love your input on this, but we don't have time, is a a tree that brings life in the world would be one that brings nourishment uh, through its fruit. It brings shade for comfort on a scorching day. It brings beauty in its seasons as we gaze upon it. it. It... It provides in many ways. And this is what the believer is to be. The righteous man to the world is to be a tree of life. Okay, we bring nourishment. We bring light. We bring flavor. We bring uh, uh, taste. We bring comfort. We bring shade. And it says, he who wins souls is wise. And it's talking about not, not converting someone to Christ. It's drawing them to your way of life through your influence, through your the truth that is lived out in your life, and ultimately in the words that we speak in regards to love and care and compassion, and ultimately the gospel. Okay, this is the life of a peacemaker. And, and this is our evangelistic ministry. I have to say that. If you wonder what we do for outreach, this is it. Okay, you reach areas of society and community that we'll never touch as a church. No matter what our efforts might be, Love Loud, uh, Go, whatever program we can throw out there, ain't going to touch the places that you can touch in your neighborhoods, in your uh, workplace, your families. And this is kind of why I wanted to bring JT up to kind of, you know, they're, they're doing this kind of as a vocation in uh, their community, but they're they're basically just engaging their neighbors, and they're getting to know them. And man, the needs! My goodness, if you just if you extend this attitude that you care about somebody, whether you want it or not, they're going to dump on you. Question is, are you going to care? Be the peacemaker. Or are you going to just kind of endure it and forget about it and worry about your own troubles? Okay, we have to engage in the world and be a peacemaker in the world. Any thoughts, questions, comments? Sorry I run you late. We'll, we'll get in single file. We'll run to the auditorium to get there in time. Let me pray for us in closing.